Mark's Madness. <laughs> oh, I'm dying. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's a good start. This is, holy cow, guys. It's gonna be, it's gonna be, I'm just telling y'all, it's gonna be one. Um, this is this is you know us, you love us. It, it's Mark's Madness. Um w- here's the story. We could have just said, you know what, there's a snow apocalypse going on outside. Uh, it's too dangerous to record. And you know what? We just released a three-hour episode on Black Bolshevik. You know what? Let's just put that up for this week. Let's just, you know, we don't need to get in we don't need to get an episode for for this week. It'll be okay. But no, damn it. No, we didn't do that. <laughs> we're not because like we that. are we're not we're not like that. We're like, let's set up a janky ass two-way recording thing that we've <laughs> never done before ever in our history. Let's see if we can make that a thing. Um, and then let's go back and see if we can and retro engineer us an episode um where I have laundry going, David's children may burst in at any moment. Uh, my no child one knows is what's bursting in. My the youngest there of my is. three. <laughs> there it happened. There it's happened. It's already happened, it's already happening. So here's yeah. what's gonna here's what to expect, gang. I you're gonna get yes he is recording this is happening we are doing socialism live this is socialism people live this is what you get this is what you get (laughs) this is what happens um so here's what's gonna happen you're gonna hear a lot of nathan reading uh and and probably some talking and then you're gonna have an episode and that's gonna be it um so just just deal with that and and don't don't yell at us if it doesn't sound good i'm sorry we're trying our best uh, and if you're if you're upset with this one and and would like more, uh, just just again go listen to Pearls of the Roundtable because our episode on Black Bolshevik dropped like three days ago. Um, when you're listening to this, and so it's fresh and there and ready for you, and it, it wants to be listened to. So yeah, so. we <laughs> we may we may have mentioned like oh we talked about you know bourgeois nationalism and and all that, and that's what we're referring to. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so that being said, if you are following along as is tradition, we are on page one eighty two. Of mm-hmm. Wretched of the Earth. Uh, I, for, I, I forgot this book has a thing. Man, all right, I gotta get my brain back in phenomenal mode. Okay. Uh, French <laughs> suck. The French uh, suck. Nationalism sucks, and Nathan doesn't understand veiled references to single party socialism. Okay, that sounds about right. Yep, that sounds about in the wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. And he's talking about, and just, just to set the setting, because we're gonna veer into this more, like basically until we get into the young people part. And yes, David did read ahead again because David <sighs> likes being prepared. So. Oh man, I don't know how you live. I don't know how you do it, man. The I thrill, just... the thrill goes away from me. I don't feel alive <laughs> if I'm not going into this blind and making mistakes. Uh, but we're gonna go through a few more pages where if you don't get the references and don't realize he's talking about bourgeois nationalism and he specifically is good with socialist nationalism, it's gonna sound like he really hates nationalism, uh, especially in one party states. It really sounds like like George Orwell style hacks at the, the USSR, and it is not at all. This is all on bourgeois nationalism. So keep that in mind as we move forward today. Keep this in mind. The political party in many parts of Africa, which are today independent, is puffed up in the most dangerous way. In the presence of a member of the party, the people are silent, behave like a flock of sheep, and publish panegyrics in praise of the government or the leader. But in the street, when evening comes away from the village, in the cafes, or by the river, the bitter disappointment of the people, their despair, but also their unceasing anger, makes itself heard. The party, instead of welcoming the expression of popular discontent, instead of taking for its fundamental purpose the free flow of ideas from the people up to the government, forms a screen and forbids such ideas. The party leaders behave like common sergeant majors, frequently reminding the people of the need for silence in the ranks. This party, which used to call itself the servant of the people, which used to claim that it worked for the full expression of the people's will as soon as the colonial power puts the country into its control, hastens to send the people back to their caves. 
As far as national unity is concerned, the party will also make many mistakes, as for example, when the so-called national party behaves as a party based on ethnic differences, it becomes, in fact, the tribe which makes itself into a party. Ugh, breathe. <laughs> you'll make it, you'll make it. I will. This party, which of its own will proclaims that it is a national party and which claims to speak in the name of the totality of the people, secretly, sometimes even openly, organizes an authentic ethnic dictatorship. We no longer see the rise of a bourgeois dictatorship, but a tribal dictatorship. The ministers, the members of the cabinet, the ambassadors, and local commissioners are chosen from the same ethnological group as the leader, sometimes directly from his own family. Such regimes of the family sorts of the family sort seem to go back to the old laws of inbreeding and not anger, but shame is felt when we are faced with such stupidity, such an imposture, such intellectual and spiritual poverty. These heads of the government are the true traitors in Africa, for they sell their country to the most terrifying of all its enemies. Stupidity. That's a solid line right there. <laughs> That's a solid, that's a solid one right there, Fanon. Uh, this tribalizing of the central authority, it is certain, encourages regionalist ideas and separatism. All the decentralizing tendencies spring up again and triumph, and the nation falls to pieces, broken in bits. The leader, who once used to call for African unity, and who thought of his own little family, wakes up one day to find himself saddled with five tribes, who also want to have their own ambassadors and ministers. And irresponsible as ever, still unaware and still despicable, he denounces their treason yeah now i was trying to figure out who he's referring to specifically here because he kind of veils a lot of this like we ran in some parts where he's talking about uh fulbert yulu and i'm not actually sure who he's talking about here it might have been nasser because i know nasser did some uh arab nationalism stuff but um nasser wasn't all that bourgeois even if he was a little bit anti-communist so i'm i'm a little confused at this part i gotta admit yeah, and I don't, again, I don't think it really, I don't think you need to have a specific person in mind to kind of be able to, you can conjure this into into being not too hard when you're thinking about it. You can Sure, you know, sure, I was just mean like for context, because sometimes I can uh, help. And- context is good, and context is important, but this is, especially in this sense, I don't think it's necessary to, to understand the concept of this particular phenomenon. I think the idea of, you know, again, petty dictator takes over, puts his family in charge. Um, I don't know, just uh, modern day examples. Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a great example of uh, of, of that, you know, no big deal. Um, but yeah, again, you can see pretty clearly what he's getting at there. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. It, a country that really wishes to answer the questions that history puts to it, that wants to develop not only its towns, but also the brains of its inhabitants, such a country must possess a trustworthy political party. The party is not a tool in the hands of the government. Quite on the contrary, the party is a tool in the hands of the people. It is they who decide on the policy that the government carries out. The party is not and ought never to be the only political bureau where all the members of the government and the chief dignitaries of the regime may meet freely together. Only too frequently, the political bureau unfortunately consists of all the party and its members who reside permanently in the capital. In an underdeveloped country, the leading members of the party ought to avoid the capital as if it had the plague. They ought, with some few exceptions, to live in the country districts. The centralization of all activity in the city ought to be avoided. No no excuse of administrative discipline should be taken as legitimizing the excreance of a capital which is already overpopulated and overdeveloped with regard to nine-tenths of the country. The party should be decentralized in the extreme. It is the only way to bring life to regions which are dead, those regions which are not yet awakened to life. 
all right, we're going to do some decentralization here. Yeah. As, a, uh, yeah. as, a, as an authoritarian, I, uh, I don't like that. I, I, I agree in strengthening all centralizing forces. Um, sure. To the center, the better. Um, I want a but, black hole of power at the center of my country. So I'm, I'm a little upset here for now, but that's fine. I'm, I'm being facetious, people. I barely have to say that now. Yeah, I yeah. I actually mean, think that. Something, obviously, he's talking about is getting out, out of the urban areas, out of the capital, out to the country districts. And he'll bring this back up later with the, the youth. I, like I said, we'll get to that part. Um, but he really, really wants to make sure this is a top-down and bottom-up thing, which is something that's consistently in socialist theory. You know, I mean, what is a vanguard party? It has to come from the people. You know, Stalin says this. Mao says this with the mass line. Uh, so this should be something we're familiar with. And uh, so Fanon just uses the term decentralization there. Maybe also... if philosophically believes decentralization will bring that about, and I'm, I'm not really sure why, but he certainly is more intending uh, for that mass line, that that vanguard coming from the people uh, type of, of idea, because he'll even bring up that, you know, the party is, is necessary and it's a tool of the people later on. Exactly. And so this is, again, I, I, I'm being facetious when I say that decentral the concept of decentralizing your 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 cabinets or your ministers or all that kind of stuff, getting them out of the capital, putting them amongst the people is 100% on, on brand with, with how we think any, with how I at least think any kind of revolution would want to, would want to go and how you'd want to run any country. Cause again, you don't want this fun little, you know, again, go back to America, but you know, Washington is an insult. You know, the beltway is an insulated bubble unto itself. And anyone who lives there will tell you that it is a, it, like it doesn't exist. It has no concept of the world outside of what it does and what it is. So, it's, Oh yeah. You remember 2016 when uh, the whole, yeah, I know that stupid ass. No, I drank a lot to forget 2016 specifically, <laughs> David. I don't, I, I don't appreciate you trying to bring back that trauma. But do you, do you remember how much everyone thought everyone had seen Hamilton? Like it was only on Broadway and everyone fucking, <laughs> thought everyone had seen it it was so yeah. stupid that like the pundits all expected everybody to have watched it and joe blow in the midwest you know has never fucking seen hamilton what they don't know what they're talking about yeah it was a very weird it was a very weird moment and it's yeah. uh it's and again i think it's just like well they performed it at the white house so obviously everyone's seen it right like they, <laughs> right. it's like well one they did like three songs from it at the white house and two no that's just not no it's a that's not how things work said, yeah decentralization is a good thing you want you want you want as much decentralization as your material conditions allow i think would be the best way to say that because i i think everyone agrees that you 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 know trying to the, the further centralized you get the further away from the people you get the more likely you are to err um now at the same time if you want to go full you know Again, I saw someone. I don't know if it was. It might have been an narco, a narco pack. Which why? Why the fuck do I even subject myself to that on Twitter? It. I yeah, know. I don't do know why. I I, I <laughs> no, don't know. I, I I hurt myself intentionally. Um, that's okay. That but, stuff hits my timeline too. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it, it was again. It was like you know. Well, why would anyone? You know, why would decentralize? Why would you not want people making things on a decentralized? You know, why would the decentralized people? They know their material. They know their conditions better. They're going to make better decisions in the moment. It's like well, yeah. In a in a small scale, hundred percent, they're going to know exactly what's best for their plot. And but you still have to have this chain going up because you need someone at the top that can kind of big picture see what the fuck's going on. Because what is best for my little niche of the world is not necessarily best, you know, if applied universally across the board, and especially not if there are need, you know, things that need to be shuffled around to make sure that there's enough for everyone. Because that's the whole goal here is to make sure there's enough for everybody. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, you know, you're not going to have like oh you know so much of the population's in la okay fine they can handle their own agrarian 
stuff like wait what the fuck like (laughs) yeah they they totally got you know and again honest to god in i mean fuck you you get vertical farming built well in la yeah they could totally handle their agrarian stuff but we know that's not happening anytime soon (laughs) come on allison i know you're out there and i know you you single-handedly get the agrarian revolution going in los angeles you can do do it it. i believe in you um (laughs) In practice, there will be at least one member of the political bureau in each area, and he will deliberately not be appointed as head of that area. He will have no administrative powers. The regional member of the political bureau is not expected to hold the highest rank in the regional administrative organization. He ought not automatically to bring the regional administrate to belong to the regional administrative body. For the people, the party is not an authority, but an organism through which they, as the people, exercise their authority and express their will. The less there is of confusion and duality of powers, the more the party will play its part of guide and the more surely it will constitute for the people a decisive guarantee. If the party is mingled with the government, the fact of being a party militant means you take the short cut to gain private ends to hold a post in the government step up the ladder get promotion and make a career for yourself and that is again that 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 is that american model of of pol of civil service politics that you just you look at it as a a one again it's the it's the pete buddha judge you know path it's the all right i I go to harvard i get my i do my my bougie consulting job and then i get my job in some sort of local politic or or mid-level politics and then i'll just use that to have a career in politics the rest of my life absolutely choice it's It's social climbing it's opportunism it's all of it yeah so it's all of it in an underdeveloped country, the setting up of the di- the setting up of dynamic district officials stops the process whereby the towns become top heavy and the incoherent rush towards the cities of the mass of the country people. The setting up early in the days of independence of regional organizations and officials who have full authority to do everything in their power to awaken such a region, to bring it to life and to hasten the growth of consciousness in it is a necessity from which there is no escape for a country that wishes to progress. Otherwise, the government bigwigs and the party officials group themselves around the leader. The government services swell to huge proportions, not because they are developing and specializing, but because newfound cousins and fresh militants are looking for jobs and hope to edge themselves into the government machine. And the dream of every citizen is to get up to the capital and to have his share of the cake. The local districts are deserted. The mass of the country people with no one to lead them, uneducated and unsupported, turn their backs on the poorly labored fields and flock towards the outer ring of suburbs thus swelling out all the proportion out of all proportion the ranks of the lumpen proletariat the moment for a fresh national crisis is not far off to avoid it we think that a di- quite different policy should be followed that the interior the back country ought to be the most privileged part of the country moreover in the last resort there is nothing inconvenient in the government choosing its seat elsewhere than in the capital the capital must be deconsecrated the outcast masses must be shown that we have decided to work for them it is with this idea in mind that the government of brazil tried to found brasilia the dead city of rio de janeiro was an insult to the brazilian people but unfortunately brasilia is just another new capital as monstrous as the first the only advantage of this achievement is that today there exists a road through the bush to it no there is no serious reason which can be opposed to the choice of another capital or to the moving of the government as a whole towards one of the more under 
populated regions. The capital of underdeveloped countries is a commercial notion inherited from the colonial period. But we who are citizens of the underdeveloped countries, we ought to seek every occasion for contacts with the rural masses. We must create a national policy, in other words, a policy for the masses. We ought never to lose contact with the people which has battled for its independence and for the concrete betterment of its existence. The native civil servants and technicians ought not to bury themselves in diagrams and statistics, but rather in the hearts of the people. They ought not to bristle up every time. There is a question of a move to be made to the interior. We should no longer see the young women of the country threaten their husbands with divorce if they do not manage to avoid being appointed to a rural post. For these reasons, the political bureau of the party ought to treat these forgotten districts in a very privileged manner, and the life of the capital, an altogether artificial life which is stuck on onto the real national life like a foreign body ought to take up the least space possible in the life of the nation which is sacred and fundamental. In an undeveloped country, the party ought to be organized in such fashion that it is not simply content with having contacts with the masses. The party should be the direct expression of the masses. The party is not an administration responsible for transmitting government orders. It is the energetic spokesman and the incorruptible defender of the masses. In order to arrive at this conception of the party, we must above all rid ourselves of the very Western, very bourgeois, and therefore contemptuous attitude that the masses are incapable of governing themselves. In fact, experience proves that the masses understand perfectly the most complicated problems. One of the greatest services that the Algerian revolution will have rendered to the intellectuals of Algeria will be to have placed them in contact with the people to have allowed them to see the extreme ineffable poverty of the people at the same time, allowing them to watch the awakening of the people's intelligence and the onward progress of their consciousness. The Algerian people, that mass of starving illiterates, those men and women plunged for centuries in the most appalling obscurity, have held out against tanks and airplanes, against napalm and psychological services, but above all, against corruption and brainwashing against traitors and against the national armies of General Bellawan. This people Be- has held out. <laughs> I don't huh? know how to say that. I don't know how to say that. Be- oh, Be- listen, were you going to jump in there? Was that the moment you decided you were going to jump in I and try to correct my French? There. <laughs> Hold on. I'm finishing the paragraph and then you can talk. This people has held out in spite of hesitant or feeble individuals and in spite of would-be dictators. This people has held out because for seven years its struggle has opened up for it vistas that it never dreamed existed. Today, arms factories are working in the midst of the mountains several yards underground. Today, the people's tribunals are functioning at every level, and local planning commissions are organizing the division of large-scale holdings and working out the Algeria of tomorrow. An isolated individual may obstinately refuse to understand a problem, but the group or the village understands with disconcerting rapidity. It is true that if care is taken to use only a language that is understood by graduates in law and economics, you can easily prove that the masses have to be managed from above. But if you speak the language of every day, if you are not obsessed by the perverse desire to spread confusion and to rid yourself of the people, then you will realize that the masses are quick to seize every shade of meaning and learn all the tricks of the trade. If recourse is to ha- is recourse is had to technical language, this signifies that it is decided to consider the masses as uninitiated. Such a language is hard to put to, to, is hard 
put to it to hide the lecturer's wish to cheat the people and to leave them out of things. The business of obscuring language is a mask behind which stands out the much greater business of plunder. The people's poverty and the people's sovereignty are to be stripped from them at one and the same time. Everything can be explained to the people on the single condition that you really want them to understand. And if you think that you don't need them, and that on the contrary, they may hinder the smooth running of the many limited liability companies whose aim it is to make the people even poorer, then that problem is quite clear. And that, I mean, that is a lot right there. That was a long run, but I, I want to start at the, I want to start at the back and work our way forward. Um, it, it, especially that part about language and the, the fact that you use language, you can use language intentionally to m- make your, make, and not listener. I don't want to say listener in this case, but make your audience less receptive to your message or try. You can use, uh, again, you know, you can go get your MFA and then talk in, in language that people don't understand and, and need, need, you know, 12 years of technical school to get, or you can just explain it in a way that everybody understands because we have a common language that we speak and every word you're using has a simpler version that you sure. should just use and get your point across just as well. How, I mean, again, look, well, I mean, we should know this too. You know, you go into work and you can talk to people about like how their boss screws them over and how they, they do work and how they're, you know, obviously not getting the full amount of for their labor or that boss wouldn't want to pay them and you can do that without introducing language like the proletariat and the bourgeoisie until you've got people a little more on board or they're going to be like what the fuck are you talking about you know even then you don't need the word proletariat and bourgeoisie use working class and 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 one person use whatever well, yeah you i mean exactly use. exactly you know and and that's also why uh, sometimes terms that are kind of accepted publicly and then robbed away from liberals can be all the more frustrating we've got to decide like which words to salvage and and which words to send back you know like uh, being anti-imperialist Right. Well, if they start using yeah. it for like Hong Kong, it's like ah, you know, it, we gotta fix yeah. that. Don't don't let them have that crap. But you know, at the same time, if they're deciding that liberal, you know, they want to shutter the, the the meaning of liberal and turn it to like liberal conservative. Fine, we don't need to, to get into the weeds of any of that crap. We need to tell people we're socialists. Yeah, exactly. And explain what that means in terms that they will understand because they will understand it. It's again, this has gone from the beginning of time. The masses, the the the. The peasants, the masses, the lumpen proletariat, whatever phrase you want to use. Again, all of them sound derogatory because they've kind of all been hijacked at a certain level. Sure. But but they're not. I have a weird yeah. niche that I want to like salvage the term idealism because right now people think of it as utopianism, and uh, I mean you know idealist philosophies are pretty utopian, but <laughs> but if they don't know you know what idealism is and they don't know what materialism is, then they don't know how stupid it is that when they you know call socialists idealists, right? You know, not yeah. only are I mean, they don't know what materialism is, is at all. They don't. You can't just simply ground it in like, well, this is what we've got from material conditions. Hundred percent. Um, so. And then again, there was a lot, there was a lot in there, um, but I think again, the biggest parts of that are you need to trust the people. You need to tr- this. This all needs to be grounded in the people. This is not going to be a a movement where it's you know one or two people up top are, are dictating things down to people because Algeria is showing, and as this is happening, that they will hold that the people will hold out for a cause that they believe in, and, and you need them on your side, or this is always going to to fail. 
Yeah, I mean, this is the part I was talking about where he'd bring up the party later, and he very much correctly has it. And he's talking about what, you know, Lenin, Stalin, Mao thought of a, a Vanguard party. He says, in an underdeveloped country, the party ought to be organized in such a fashion that is not simply content with having contacts with the masses. The party should be the direct expression of the masses. The party's not an ad- administration responsible for transmitting government orders. It is the energetic spokesman and the incorruptible defender of the masses. I mean, that's that's what a party better be. You know, that's yep. there's a lot, a lot in that last very big paragraph, a lot of important ideas. But that's the central one to me. Yeah, 100% agree. Uh, for if you think that you can manage a country without letting the people interfere, if you think that the people upset the game by their mere presence, whether they slow it down or whether by their natural ignorance, they sabotage it, then you must have no hesitation. You must keep the people out. Now, it so happens that when the people are invited to partake in the management of the country, they do not slow the movement down. But on the contrary, they speed it up. We Algerians have had the occasion and the good fortune during the course of this war to handle a fair number of questions. In certain country districts, the political military leaders of the revolution found themselves, in fact, confronted with situations which call for radical solutions. We shall look at some of these situations. During the years 1956 to 57, French colonialism had marked off certain zones as forbidden, and within these zones, people's movements were strictly controlled. Thus, the peasants could no longer go freely to the towns and buy provisions. During this period, the grocers made huge profits. The prices of tea, sugar, coffee, tobacco, and salt soared. The black market flourished blatantly. The peasants who could not pay in money mortgaged their crops. In other words, their land, or else lopped off field after field of their father's farms and during the second phase worked them for the grocer. As soon as the political commissars realized the danger of the situation, they reacted immediately. Thus, a rational system of provisioning was instituted. The grocer who went to the town was obligated to buy from nationalist wholesalers who handled handed him an invoice which clearly showed the prices of the goods. When the retailer got back to the village before doing anything else, he had to go to the political commissar who checked the invoice, decided on the margin of profit, and fixed the price at which the various goods should be sold. However, the retailer soon discovered a new trick, and after three or four days declared that his stocks had run out. In fact, he went on with his business of selling on the black market on the sly. The reaction of the political political military authorities was thoroughgoing. Heavy penalizations were decided on, and the fines collected were put into the village funds and used for social purposes or to pay for public works in the general interest. Sometimes it was decided to shut down the shop for a while. Then if there was a reception of black market, a a repetition of black marketeering, the business was at once confiscated and a managing committee elected to carry it on, which paid a monthly allowance to the former owner. Taking these experiences as a starting point, the functioning of the main laws of economics was explained to the people with concrete examples. The accumulation of capital ceased to be a theory and became a very real and immediate mode of behavior. The people understood how that once a man was in trade, he could become rich and increase his turnover. Then and then only did the peasants tell the tale of how the grocer gave them loans at exorbitant interest, and others recalled how he evicted them from their land and how from owners they became laborers. The more the people understand, the more watchful they become, and the more they come to realize that finally everything depends on them and their salvation lies in their own cohesion, in the true understanding of their interests, and in knowing who the enemies are. The people come to understand that wealth is not the fruit of labor, but the result of organized, protected robbery. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Rich people are no longer respectable people. (laughs) They are nothing more than flesh-eating animals, jackals and vultures which wallow in the people's blood. With another end in view, the political commissars, commissioners, have had to decide that nobody will work for anyone else any longer. 
The land belongs to those who till it. This is a principle which has, through explanation, become a fundamental law of the Algerian Revolution. The peasants who used to employ agricultural laborers have been obliged to give a share of the land to their former employees. So it may, it so it may been seen. That that sounds ain't right. Yeah. So well, before, you, before you go there, before you go there, don't I wanna, you? Yeah. Stop. Stop. All right. No, I I want to touch on that uh, that paragraph because you know I mean he's I'll talking about. Away. Uh, that was something where he talks about, you know, I mean, the people saw a concrete example of this because the party stepped in and said, hey, you can't rob the people like this. You know, we're, we're fixing the prices to protect them. You can't fix them to screw them over. You can't run this black market gambit. And they came down hard on them. And the people went, well, these people have been robbing us the whole time. Here's all the other reasons they've been robbing us. And it, it clicked, you know, because, again, this theory is intuitive because it's material and it's real. Um, and the only way it works up until now is people have been so trained to live this day-to-day life that they they don't they don't realize and they don't think about it that it just takes one or two experiences or one or two pieces of education and then everything starts rolling in their minds and, and it can start clicking and that's why you know we've talked about way back in capital the poorer someone is the more oppressed someone is the easier this stuff comes to them and so these very oppressed masses all of a sudden it was like well wait a minute they've been robbing us the whole time here's this and this and this and this and this and and they lit right up exactly If we have taken the example of Algeria to illustrate our subject, it is not at all with the intention of glorifying our own people, but simply to show the important part played by the war in lending them toward consciousness of themselves. It is clear that other peoples have come to the same conclusion in different ways. We know for sure today that in Algeria, the test of force was inevitable, but other countries through political action and through the work of the clarification undertaken by a party have led their people to the same results. In Algeria, we have realized that the masses are equal to the problems which confront them. In an underdeveloped country, experience proves that the important thing is not that 300 people form a plan and decide upon carrying it out, but that the whole people plan and decide, even if it takes them twice or three times as long. I want to stop right there because that is really, that's a really great tie back to um, what uh, something we kind of picked up when we were reading Black Bolshevik. Um, this concept that it, it, you know, we, we talk about, we, you know, when people talk about this, this idea of the Soviet Union, it's in this very like authoritarian top down Stalin or, you know, whatever they made the rules and everyone just followed them. And like that couldn't be much further from how it actually went down. Um, they had this whole thing of it's going to they're going to you know, it's going to take them years to decide a line like it, they they debated and, and, and really at the internationals went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth before they finally, you know, democratic sense, you know, centralization would you would debate the line ad nauseum. And then once you picked it, boom, no questioning, go forward, go, you know, we're, we're not, we're not turning back at this point. And this is kind of what Fanon's talking about here that, yeah, you know, it's going to take you longer to come to the line, but if it's a line that everyone agreed upon, or at least the majority agreed upon when they made it, then those people are going to be far more invested in that plan's success and they're going to do everything they can to implement it. Well, even, I mean, you look at the, the next line. The fact is the time will be taken up by explaining the time lost in treating the workers as human being will be caught up in the execution of the plan. So, I mean, you know, as long as they know what they're doing, it's going to be a lot easier. You run into a problem. There's not going to be like, oh, we got to send it up to this one guy and he's got to figure it out. Like, everybody knows, oh, crap, we came in short here. All right, everybody get together and let's fix this. And it's going to come out smoothly. It's going to come out efficient. 
in. And so you're going to make up the time and it's going to be more fulfilling and it's going to be what people want. And like you said, this is what they practice in the Soviet Union. And that's a good example, because if you look at the Soviet Union, one of the, the things that was uh, plucked by Orwell and his horrible, you know, anti-communist screen 1984 was two plus two equals five. He was trying to push this as some untrue thing. But what really happened is they had these five year plans and they were hitting their five year goals in four years. They put out propaganda to like get the workers, you know, proud of themselves, take pride in what they've accomplished. Two plus two equals five. Look, we did it in four years. People must know where they are going and why. The politicians should not ignore the fact that the future remains a closed book so long as the consciousness of the people remains imperfect, elementary, and cloudy. We African politicians must have very clear ideas on the situation of our people, but this clarity of ideas must be profoundly dialectical. The awakening of the whole people will not come about all at once. The people's work in the building of the nation will not immediately take on its full dimensions. First, because the means of communication and transmission are only beginning to be developed. Secondly, because the yardstick of time must no longer be that of the moment or up till the next harvest, but must become the the rest of the world. And lastly, because the spirit of discouragement, which has been deeply rooted in the people's minds by colonial domination, is still very near the surface. But we must not overlook the fact that victory over those weaknesses, which are the heritage of the material and spiritual domination of the country, by another is a necessity from which no government will be able to escape. Let us take the example of work under the colonial regime. The settler never stopped complaining that the native is slow. Today, in certain countries which have become independent, we hear the ruling class taking up the same cry. The fact is that the settler wanted the native to be enthusiastic. By a sort of process of mystification, which constitutes the most sublime type of separation from reality, he wanted to persuade the slave that the land he worked on belonged to him, that the mines were where he lost his health were owned by him. The settler was singularly forgetful of the fact that he was growing rich through the death throes of the slave. In fact, what the settler was saying to the native was, kill yourself that I may become rich. Today, we must behave in a different fashion. We ought not to say to the people, kill yourself that the country may become rich. If we want to increase the national revenue and decrease the importing of certain products which are useless or even harmful, if we want to increase agricultural production and overcome illiteracy, we must explain what we are about. The people must understand what is at stake. Public business ought to be the business of the public. So the necessity of creating a large number of well-informed nuclei at the bottom crops up again. Too often, in fact, we are content to establish national organizations at the top and always in the capital, the Women's Union, the Young People's Federation, trade unions, etc. But if one takes the trouble to investigate what is behind the office in the capital, if you go into the inner room where the reports ought to be, you will be shocked by the emptiness, the blank spaces and the bluff. There must be a basis. There must be cells that supply content and life. The masses should be able to meet together, discuss, propose, and receive directions. The citizens should be able to speak, to express themselves, and to put forward new ideas. The branch meeting and the committee meeting are liturgical acts. They are privileged occasions given to a human being to listen and to speak. At each meeting, the brain increases its means of participation, and the eye discovers a landscape more and more in keeping with human dignity. Yeah, yeah, go. Oh, that whole thing was great. No, I and obviously I really like the line that uh, public business ought to be the business of the public. Yeah, Um, that was a solid one. 
but now and you're I seeing into it. Yeah, I did. Uh, but now you're seeing a little more of Fanon beyond just the the on violence part, which was again we talked about the real key to this book was chapter one, and we've spent as much time after chapter one now as as we did on it. Uh, but there was something about the violence bringing the people humanity. Now you're starting to see that humanity round out, and and what he's talking about, like becoming fully human. You know, they're becoming people. They're 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 not these this you know driven down uh, enslaved people anymore. Now they're they're full on administrating humans running their societies again, as they always should have been before that humanity was robbed by the colonizers. Absolutely. The large proportion of young people in the underdeveloped countries raises specific problems for the government, which must be tackled with lucidity. The young people of the towns, idle and often illiterate, are a prey to all sorts of disintegrating influences. It is to the youth of an underdeveloped country that the industrialized countries most often offer their pastimes. Normally, there is a certain homogeneity between the mental and material level of the members of any given society and the pleasures which that society creates for itself. But in underdeveloped countries, young people have at their disposal disposition leisure occupations designed for the youth of capitalist countries detective novels penny in the slot machines sexy photographs pornographic literature films banned to those under 16 and above all alcohol in the yeah, west the fam- <laughs> that oh. part was a little weird as fanon starts getting the kids with the booze and the porn and the, uh, I, I don't know about that part <laughs> uh in the west the family circle wait oh we got we got jeffy in there Oh, yeah. Jeffy's up in there. All right. Uh, the effects of education and relatively high standard of living of the working class provide a more or less efficient protection against the harmful action of these pastimes. But in an African country where mental development is uneven, where the violent collision of two worlds has considerably shaken old traditions and thrown the universe of the perceptions out of focus, the impressionability and sensibility of the young African are at the mercy of the various assaults made upon them by the very nature of Western culture. His family very very often proves itself incapable of showing stability and homogeneity when faced with such attacks. In this domain, the government's duty is to act as a filter and a stabilizer, but the youth commissioners in an underdeveloped country often make the mistake of imagining their role to be that of youth commissioners in fully developed countries. They speak of strengthening the soul, of developing the body, and of facilitating the growth of sportsmanlike qualities. It is our opinion that they should beware of these conceptions. The young people of an underdeveloped country are, above all, idle. Occupations must be found for them. For this reason, the youth commissioners ought for practical purposes to be attached to the Ministry of Labor. The Ministry of Labor, which is a prime necessity in an underdeveloped country, functions in collaboration with the Ministry of Planning, which is another necessary institution in underdeveloped countries. The youth of Africa ought not to be sent to sports stadiums, and it, but into the fields and into the schools. The stadium not ought not to be a show place erected in the towns, but a bit of open ground in the midst of the fields that the young people must reclaim, cultivate and give to the nation uh in this fun era of uh publicly funded sports stadiums that feels uh very very on par oh yeah yeah i mean just very very on par <laughs> but um, i don't think stan Kroenke would like this chapter very much mm, i don't think stan Kroenke <laughs> d- d- uh, uh, to the wall to the wall to the wall to the wall um <laughs> The st- <laughs> um, the capitalist conception of sport is fundamentally different from that which should exist in an underdeveloped country. The African politician should not be preoccupied with turning out sportsmen, but with turning out fully conscious men who play games as well. 
if games are not integrated into the national life, that is to say, in the building of the nation, and if you turn out national sportsmen and not fully conscious men, you will very quickly see sport rotted by professionalism and commercialism. Sports should not be a pastime or a distraction for the bourgeoisie of the towns. The greatest task before us is to understand at each moment what is happening in our country. We ought not to cultivate the exceptional or to seek for a hero who is another form of leader. We ought to uplift the people. We must develop their brains, fill them with ideas, change them, and make them into human beings. That's a very interesting perspective that I had not heard before. I was very... Uh, yeah, it was it was something else. And you notice he's not saying, like, don't have the kids play sports, but he's saying, you know, that should be a part of life. Their life should never center around that. So that's not the kind of potential that should happen. So we shouldn't make these sports just games for the bourgeois to look at in the underdeveloped countries, you know, specifically, right? I mean, he, he doesn't yeah. seem to have a problem with that in developed countries. There's enough people, enough development, they'll figure it out. Uh, but he's saying in these underdeveloped countries, we need everyone. We need our best talents on developing this country and bringing us all to humanity and full functionality in in the world yeah which makes sense i mean that, that, that it absolutely like as he said it it, it was completely intuitive it just it, it was never a thing i'd heard before which was interesting yeah um we once we once more come up against the obsession of ours which we would like to be sh- like to see shared by all african politicians about the need for effort to be well informed for work which is enlightened and freed from its historic intellectual darkness. To hold a responsible position in an underdeveloped country is to know that in the end, everything depends on the education of the masses and the raising of the level of thought and on what we are too quick to call political teaching. In fact, we often believe with criminal superficiality that to educate the masses politically is to deliver a long political harangue from time to time. We think it is enough that the leader or one of his lieutenants should speak in a pompous tone about the principal events of the day for them to have fulfilled this bounden duty to educate the masses politically. Now, political education means opening their minds, awakening them, and allowing the birth of their intelligence, as Césaire said, it is to invent souls. To educate the masses politically does not mean cannot mean making a political speech tell that to everyone that thinks barack obama is a great politician <laughs> yeah exactly what it means is to try relentlessly and passionately to teach the masses that everything depends on them that if we stagnate it is their responsibility and that if we go forward it is due to them too that there is no such thing as a demigur that is there is no famous man who will take the responsibility for everything but that the demigur is Demi-urge. the people is the people themselves and the magic hands are finally only the hands of the people in order to put all this into practice in order really to incarnate the people we repeat that there must be decentralization in the extreme the movement from the top to the bottom and from the bottom to the top should be a fixed principle not through concern for formula formalism but because simply to respect this principle is to guarantee is the guarantee of salvation. It is from the base that forces mount up, which supply the summit with its dynamic and make it possible dialectically for it to leap ahead. Once again, we Algerians have been quick to understand these facts for no member of the government at the head of any recognized state has had the chance of availing himself of such a mission of salvation for it is the rank and file who are fighting in Algeria and the rank and file know well that without their daily struggle hard and heroic as it is, the summit would collapse. And in the same way, those at the bottom know that without a head and without leadership, the base would split apart in incoherence and anarchy. The summit only draws its worth and its real strength from the existence of the people at war. Literally, it is the people who freely create a summit for themselves and not the summit that tolerates the people. 
The masses should know that the government and the party are at their service. A deserving people, in other words, a people of consciousness and of, dig- of its a people conscious of its dignity, is a people that never forgets these facts. During the colonial occupation, the people were told that they must give their lives so that dignity might triumph. But the African peoples quickly came to understand that it was not only the occupying power that threatened their dignity. The African peoples were quick to realize that dignity and sovereignty were exact equivalents. And in fact, a free people living in dignity is a sovereign people. It is no use demonstrating that the African peoples are childish or weak. A government or a party gets the people it deserves. And sooner or later, a people gets the government it deserves. That is one of those quotes that you think like always gets ascribed to some like bougie Western bitch. But that's a goddamn good quote. It, it is. And it's this is the kind of the, the little leaden barb section I've I've noticed. Of yeah, there's not. a lot he's, of these little he, like, like one good jabs. Yeah. Uh, but this is kind of where I talked about. He was clarifying when he says de- decentralization to the extreme. That's not saying no party or, or not some one central party. You know, he talks about from the bottom to the top, from the top to the bottom. You know, he's not talking about everybody independently in their own things and just cooperating. So this isn't some bread book crap. You know, this this is talking about that you can't just cast from on high, right? It has to come from the people and and go, you know, reciprocally go down to the people and back up. This is, again, you know, the, the Leninist Vanguard Party, the Maoist Mass Lines, the same idea. And that's why I clarified that earlier, because it didn't really sound like that earlier, but this paragraph um, clarified it, and it makes more sense with that clarification. Practical experience in certain regions confirms this point of view. It sometimes happens at meetings that militants use sweeping dogmatic formulas. That, pref- that preference for this shortcut in which spontaneity and oversimple sinking of differences dangerously combine to defeat intellectual elaboration frequently triumphs. When we meet this shirking of responsibility in a militant, it is not enough to tell him he is wrong. We must make him ready for responsibility, encourage him to follow up his chain of reasoning, and make him realize the true nature and often sh- true nature, often shocking in human and in the long run sterile of such oversimplification. Nobody, neither leader nor rank and filer, can hold back the truth. The search for truth in local attitudes is a collective affair. Some are richer in experience and elaborate their thoughts more rapidly, and in the past have been able to establish a greater number of mental links. But they ought to avoid riding roughshod over the people. For the success of the decision which is adopted depends upon the coordinated conscious effort of the whole of the people. No one can get out of the situation scot-free. Everyone will be butchered or tortured. And in the framework of the independent nation, everyone will go hungry and everyone will suffer in the slump. The collective struggle presupposes collective responsibility at the base and collegiate responsibility at the top. Yes, everybody will have to be compromised in the fight for the common good. No one has clean hands. There are no innocents and no onlookers. We all have dirty hands. We are all soiling them in the swamps of our country and in the terrifying emptiness of our brain. Every onlooker is either a coward or a traitor. Good! God, Fanon! He's so good and just fitting straight fire here. Holy shit. The duty of those at the head of the movement is to have the masses behind them. Allegiance presupposes awareness and understanding of the mission, which has to be fulfilled. In short, an intellectual position. However, embryonic, we must not voodoo the people nor dissolve them in emotion and confusion. Only those underdeveloped countries led by revolutionary elite who have come up from the people can today allow the entry of the masses upon the scene of history. But we must repeat, 
It is absolutely necessary to oppose vigorously and definitively the birth of a national bourgeoisie and a privileged caste. To educate the masses politically is to make the totality of the nation a reality to each citizen. It is to make the history of the nation part of its part of the personal experience of each of its citizens. As President Siko Turi aptly remarked in his message to the Second Congress of African Writers, in the realm of thought, man may claim to be the brain of the world. But in the real in real life, where every action affects spiritual and physical existence, the world is always the brain of mankind. For it is at this level that you will find the sum total of the powers and units of thought and the dynamic forces of development and improvement. And it is there that energies are merged and the sum of man's intellectual value is finally added together. And for people who are. Oh, oh, sorry. For no, people no, no, who are wondering, uh, Ahmed Sikuturi was the uh, first leader of Guinea. Uh, oh, it, it grabbed independence. So, yeah. That makes sense. Individual experience, because it is national and because it is a link to the chain of national existence, ceases to be individual, limited and shrunken and is enabled to open out into the into the truth of the nation and of the world. In the same way that during the period of armed struggle, each fighter held the fortune of the nation in his hand. So during the period of national construction, each citizen ought to continue in his real everyday activity to associate himself with the whole of the nation, to incarnate the con- continuous dialectical truth of the nation and to Will the triumph of man in his completeness here and now in the building of a bridge does not if the building of a bridge does not enrich the awareness of those who work on it, then the bridge ought not to be built and the citizens can go on swimming across the river or going by boat. The bridge should not be parachuted down from above. It should not be imposed by a deus ex machina upon the social scene. On <laughs> Every, everybody hearing this knows what a deus ex machina, I hope, is right. Uh, yeah, yes, uh, God from the machine is what it literally yeah. translates to, but it's like it's like a literary effect where just right. a, a thing appears out of nowhere and makes a thing. It happen. just solves it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the idea it's yeah. God. Yeah, I mean, it's God or a machine just like snap. Ah, it's plot. So yeah, he's just saying like you know we're not expecting something just like come down upon us and save us or something like that. Some some off being. He's materialist. No. Yeah, no, for sure. Um. Certainly, there may well be need of engineers and architects, sometimes completely foreign engineers and architects, but the local party leaders should be always present so that new tech, the new techniques can make their way into the cerebral desert of the citizen so that the bridge in the whole and in part can be taken up and conceived and the responsibility for it assumed by the citizen. In this way and in this way only, everything is possible. A government which calls for itself a national government ought to take responsibility for the totality of the nation. And in an underdeveloped country, the young people represent one of the most important sectors. The level of consciousness of young people must be raised. They need enlightenment. If the work of explanation had been carried on among the youth of the nation, and if the young people's national union had carried out its task of integrating them into the nation, those mistakes would have been avoided, which have threatened or already undermined the future of the Latin American republics. The army is not always a school of war. More often, it is a school of civic and political education. The soldier of an adult nation is not a simple mercenary, but a citizen who by means of arms defends the nation. That is why it is a fundamental importance that the soldier should know that he is in the service of his country and not in the service of his commanding officer. However great that officer's prestige may be. We must take advantage of the national, military, and civil service in order to raise the level of the national consciousness and detribalize and unite the nation. 
In an underdeveloped country, every effort is made to mobilize men and women as quickly as possible. It must guard against the danger of perpetuating the feudal tradition which holds sacred the superiority of the masculine element over the feminine. Women will have exactly the same place as men, not in the clauses of the Constitution, but in the life of every day, in the factory, at school, in Parliament. If in the Western countries men are always shut up in the barracks, that is not to say that this is always the best procedure. Recruits need not necessarily be militarized. The National Service may be civil or military, and in any case, it is advisable that every able-bodied citizen can at any moment take his place in a fighting unit for the defense of national and social liberty. Yeah, now we did rip on uh, Fanon a little bit earlier uh, about massage. I don't duty. remember any of that. Yeah, no, that totally didn't. <laughs> there, there goes that thought out the window. Um, yeah, you know, I do like how he digs again in this these Lenin style just barbs this chapter um, about how, you know, just because the, the Western countries uh, clamp men up in the barracks and, and you know, drive uh, fighting in the military, something especially masculine, doesn't mean we need to do that bullshit. We've got, we've got our way to do it. We're going to do it right. The women are part of this. 100%. It should be possible to carry out large-scale undertakings in the public interest by using recruited labor. This is a marvelous way of stirring up inert districts and making them known to a greater number of citizens the needs of their country. Care must be taken to avoid turning the army into an autonomous body, which sooner or later, finding itself idle and without any definite mission, will go into politics and threaten the government. Drawing room generals by dint of haunting the corridors of government departments come to dream of manifestos. The only way to avoid this menace is to educate the army politically, in other words, to nationalize it. In the same way, another urgent task is to increase the militia. In case of war, it is the whole nation which fights and works. It should not include any professional soldiers, and the number of permanent officers should be reduced to a minimum. This is the in the first place because the officers are very often chosen from the university class, who would be much more useful elsewhere, and an engineer is a thousand times more indispensable to his country than an officer. And secondly, because the crystallization of the caste spirit must be avoided. We have seen in the preceding pages that nation nationalism that magnificent song that made the people rise against their oppressors stop short falters and dies away on the day that independence is proclaimed nationalism is not a political doctrine nor a program if you really wish your country to avoid regression or at best halts and uncertainties a rapid step must be taken from a national consciousness to a political and social consciousness the nation does not exist in a program which has been worked out by revolutionary leaders and taken up with full understanding and enthusiasm by the masses. The nation's effort must constantly be adjusted into the general background of underdeveloped countries. The battle line against hunger, against ignorance, against poverty, and against unawareness ought to be ever present in the muscles and the intelligences of men and women. The work of the masses and their will to overcome the evils which have for centuries excluded them from the mental achievements of the past ought to be grafted on onto the work and on the will of all underdeveloped peoples. On the level of underdeveloped humanity, there is a kind of collective effort, a sort of common destiny. The news which interests the third world does not deal with King Baudin's, yeah, marriage, nor the scandals of the Italian ruling class. I, I mean, now, to be fair, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Silvio Berlusconi, but his <laughs> scandals were definitely worth looking yeah. into. They were, they were holy shit. Yeah. Um, 
look into some bunga bunga party people there was some wild ass shit going on in italy um what we want to hear about are the experiments carried out by the argentinians or the burmese in their efforts to overcome illiteracy or the dictatorial tendencies of their leaders it is these things which strengthen us teach us and increase our efficiency 10 times over as we see it a program is necessary for a government which really wants to be free the people politically which really wants to free the people politically and socially there must be an economic program there must also be a doctrine concerning the division of wealth and social relations in fact there must be an idea of man and the of the future of humanity that is to say that no demagogic formula and no collusion with the former occupying power can take the place of a program the new peoples unawakened at first but soon becoming more and more clear-minded will make strong demands for this program the african people and indeed all underdeveloped peoples contrary to common belief very quickly build up a social and political consciousness what can be dangerous is when they reach the stage of social consciousness before the stage of nationalism if this happens we find in underdeveloped countries fierce demands for social justice which paradoxically are aligned with often primitive tribalism the underdeveloped peoples have behaved underdeveloped peoples behave like starving creatures this means that the end is very near for those who are having a good time in africa their government will not be able to prolong its own existence indefinitely a bourgeoisie that provides nationalism alone as food for the masses fails in its mission and gets caught up in a whole of the series of mishaps but if nationalism is not made explicit if it is not enriched and deepened by a very rapid transformation into a consciousness of social and political needs in other words into human it leads into a blind alley. The bourgeois leaders of underdeveloped countries imprison, nash, imprison men and women are included oh, blah, 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 uh, imprison national consciousness in a sterile formalism. It is only when men and women are included on a vast scale in enlightened and fruitful work that form and body are given to that consciousness. Then the flag and the palace where sits the government ceases to be the symbols of the nation. The nation deserts these brightly lit empty shells and takes shelter in the country where it is given life and dynamic power. The living expression of the nation is the move is the coherent enlightened action of men and women. The collective building up of a destiny is the assumption of responsibility on the historical scale. Otherwise there is anarchy repression and the resurgence of tribal parties and federalism the national government, if it wants to be national, ought to govern by the people and for the people, for the outcasts and by the outcasts. No leader, however valuable he may be, can substitute himself for the popular will and the national government. Before concerning itself about international prestige, ought first to give back their dignity to all citizens, fill their minds and feast their eyes with human things, and create a prospect that is human because conscious and sovereign men dwell there within." And that Woo! is how you end a chapter. That is how you wrap up two chapters. That really wrapped up both the last of them. Um, going into how, like, nationalism can't do it alone, and you can't look back at, look at what we've accomplished, look at what we've achieved, we've broken away from the country. But the whole mission has to be, look, look at our people, look who are starving, look who are suffering. We have to salvage their lives. And that's that's very, very clean. A lot of barbs, a lot of digs, a lot of good points, and uh, Fanon really tidied it up. He did tidy it up. Yeah. Um, and and speaking of tidying it up, we're doing this in the complete opposite way we normally do it. And it's kind of weird to like get done with that stretch and then do corrections. But we do actually have <laughs> corrections. Oh, um, okay. So yeah, we forgot to do those at the beginning. Okay. Well, we, we did go. forget to do those at the beginning. So we're going to do those at the end because yeah. this whole episode is um, um, backwards, upside downsville. And so sure. here we go. Um, 
the first correction is is less of a correction and more of like an addendum to something that uh, we had talked about, but it, it someone was giving us some interesting uh, oh. context. Okay. Um, we got an email. I'm not going to use the person's name. Um, if they want to be identified, they can reach out and let us know, and we will do that. But in, in just in case, I'm going to do that. But uh, basically, it was in regards to we. I think we were talking a couple episodes back about white phosphorus. Uh, and how, oh yes, uh, it was a it was an unlockable in uh, Call of Duty, which is insane because it's like a yeah. I think we we're Geneva bringing up uh, to use it. Fallujah in there because yeah. they used white phosphorus yeah, 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 along with the plating uranium. They just did everything to Fallujah. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, here's, here is the fucked up fact as it was brought to us. Oh, great. Uh, the Geneva convention bans the use of white phosphorus on personnel. Okay. So you can't use it on people. Okay. But it permits its use on equipment, which is especially fucked up because a part of that convention defines equipment as small arms, body armor, and uniforms. Oh, God. There's also no requirement that effort is made to limit exposure to personnel when you are using it on equipment. The Geneva Convention Jesus is bullshit. Jesus Christ. Yeah, what the fuck? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's... So nothing, uh, that, nothing. That's like, like, oh, it's technically illegal for a cop to rape someone, but it's legal for them to have sex with them after they're arrested in the police car. Like, I mean, it, come the fuck on. Yeah, it's very much in that in that zone. Um, the other correction uh, okay. was on a recent. We were talking about uh, uh, Vietnam having to go in and uh, clean up Pol Pot. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he wasn't actually a communist, and we yeah. mentioned uh, Ho Chi Minh going down and taking care of that noble action. Oh um, yeah, that might have been after Ho Chi Minh died. Yeah, Ho Chi Minh was dead. Ho Chi okay, Minh was dead. Yeah. At that point. So uh, yeah, so that was so, probably a couple bad? years after Ho Chi Minh died. Our bad, Emma. Yeah. Emma, I see you out there. Good call. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, so those are those are corrections for the week. All um, right. Things that are not corrections. Um, again, we talked about it at the beginning of the episode, but uh, mm-hmm. we did just do our episode of Pearls of the Roundtable. Uh, yes. And it's so. about as long as you would expect it would be. <laughs> it's uh, almost three hours. <laughs> almost three hours. Oh, um, but it's so good. It is very good. It's good enough that I think at some level we'll still probably go back to it or, or we will. Yes. I will tell so you. So strong, uh, strong recommend you go to the proles, uh, prolespod.com or prolespod.lipsing.com. You can also listen to or, you know, there's all mm-hmm. kinds of places to find them, but definitely go listen to that episode. Uh, and then also, it, it, at least the bad double page PDF is in the public domain. Um, I believe there's also a good version now too. It's been posted yeah. in Prol's. Uh, it's in Prol's chat. I'll see if I can link it in. I'll link it in okay. the description here. There is a good just EPUB version of that book. There is a good version of the un- uncut ebook. Yeah. Um. I mean, just read that book. It's only 600 yes. pages, and it's it, that sounds like oh, 600 pages. It's an easy read for 600 pages, and it yeah. is so dense, and it is so full of. It's not only just a straight up autobiography. Dense in the good way, not dense like this is hard to parse, but like no. every single word, the, like every single. It's the there's no dead of dense air. and parsing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so good. And also, um, Proles is running a con- if you want to get a copy of that book, Proles is running a contest to come up with a slogan for them. Um, so if you and if you go to their site, you can see what the, the rules and how you enter and all that are. But if, mm-hmm. basically, if you send them a slogan and they they're going to pick their top four, um, the top four are going to get physical uh, copies of that book. And uh, it's worth doing, like, do that, because that book is awesome and it's worth having. It's, it's very big. It's, it's really, really great. But, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, it's 600 pages, and it's not only uh, maybe one of the best theory texts out there, just 
coincidentally out of this man's autobiography, but it's also a great historical text and and then just an interesting autobiography on top of that. And it's also going to be hyper relevant because again, I was I was talking hyper about relevant. it talking about it today, but it's so weird because it is. I mean, especially in light of the, uh, I mean, again, I think our opinions on electoralism are pretty well known, but I, yeah. to say you're, you know, you know, we're, we're just, you know, you, you would prefer Jeremy Corbyn have won in the same way I'd prefer Bernie Sanders would win in this country if that was an option. Um, in light of those elections, you know, people talking about, oh, you know, we're about to see another financial crisis. Um, the, the timeline of Black Bolshevik goes from the early, early 1920s, essentially. Really, it takes mm-hmm. off there. I mean, we, it starts in World War One. Yeah. Um, but but I mean, its main work is done through the 20s and then through the 50s, yep. um, which is the lead up to the working through and then the aftermath of a, a massive financial crisis. And this country yeah, is the about Great to go Depression is what we're known. Yeah. And so if you want to know how I mean, some of the most effective organizing the Communist Party in this country ever did was during the Depression, but it didn't do it when the depression started it, it already existed and was in place and, and had the had the structure it needed more structure even than it had at the time but we can't expect to start organizing once the you know once the financial apocalypse hits so we need to have this we need to start organizing now we need to have these plans in place mm-hmm. now and we need to have these structures in place now to be able to take care of people when this happens because that's how you're going to win people to your cause that's how you're going to show people whose side you're really on is when the shit hits the fan who's taking care of who and yeah. and we need that we need to put those things in place to make sure we're the ones being able to take care of people and uh, and help people through what's going to be a very very nasty time in in a lot of people's lives. Absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent agree. So on that very positive note, hey guys, we did it. Uh, we I did have it. no idea this episode is going to be weird. I apologize that we will get back. <laughs> you will get back to your normal, if not a little bit enhanced. Uh, uh, it's audio. super weird because we did twenty whole pages. We did a lot of pages. I'm very tired now. Um, so I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go take a nap. Um, and and we will see you all uh, next week because as this has shown, we are committed to never ever missing a week in the history of time ever until the revolution comes. And even yeah, though we'll have, right. we'll have some of the tank. Some of the hopper. <laughs> all right. That being said, bye. Bye.